Welcome to Activation Energy by the Chemical Angel Network. I'm your host, Selma Duhovic. In this episode, I speak with John Standish and Baruz Mamadov. John is the technical director at the Association of Plastic Recyclers, a trade organization that represents the post-consumer plastic recycling industry. He has over 30 years of experience working in both technology and commercial development roles for plastic and composite materials. Baruz is a serial entrepreneur in the chemical industry and is the founder and CEO of Birkin, a startup commercializing a clay-based additive that could potentially be employed to reduce the amount of plastic used in packaging. John Baruz, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Selma, for having us here today. Yeah, it's a great pleasure, Selma, uh, to be here. I have been looking forward to this. Let's get started with some context about plastic packaging and recycling. John, can you tell us a bit about scale? Uh, what volume of new plastic packaging is generated annually and what type of polymers are used? Sure. The uh, packaging for consumer packaging, foods and beverages, uh, consumer products, breaks down into two types. There's rigid packaging. So think of bottles that we use for beverages or home laundry shampoo, that would be rigid packaging. And then flexible packaging would be films used to wrap things or pouches that are increasingly popular for a number of food items. In rigid packaging, which is the focus of our discussion today, PET, polypropylene, and high-density polyethylene packaging are widely collected for recycling today in the United States and Europe, increasingly in Asia and in Latin America. Films from industrial sources are widely collected as well for recycling, and so it's very readily done, it's done every day that films are collected and flexible packaging is collected for recycling today. The films are typically polyethylene, most often, there can be polypropylene films as well, and there can be multi-layer films, but polyethylene by far is the most popular uh, material. I cannot quantify how much material is used for packaging. It's a huge number, uh, billions and billions of pounds in each of the United States, Europe, Asia, Latin America. It's a huge number. And what about recycling? Can you talk about how much of uh, packaging ends up in landfills and more importantly, why? Sure. And, and let's focus again on rigid PET, polypropylene, and high density, because again, these are three of the most popular packaging formats. And the reason that they're not recycled today has nothing to do with technology. Absolutely nothing to do with technology. It has to do with our commitment as individuals and our commitment as a society to put those packages into a collection system where they can be collected for recycling. In each of those material categories, demand for recycled plastic derived from those materials and, and consumer packaging exceeds the supply available. And so uh, things you asked, why do things go to landfill? It's simply because in different communities, there's not a collection process, so they go to landfill, or individuals make a decision to put that package in a waste container 
as opposed to a container intended to collect material for recycling. Can you elaborate on the factors that promote or limit collection? Oh, sure. And uh, this is an area that's getting intense study really around the world in order to promote uh, collection. Uh, certainly consumer education is tremendously important because we all have spoken to people who go, oh, I'm confused about what to recycle. I don't know if to, this is for recycling or waste, or I'm skeptical that if I put it in the recycling bin, it'll even get recycled. So consumer education is, is a top requirement. And so a big opportunity that major brand companies have is to use in their marketing efforts, in their labeling, in their advertising, in their social media, communicate to consumers how important it is to recycle the, the packages that we've talked about. In local communities, communities that have uh, recycling as a no-cost add-on to trash collection are by far the communities that have the highest collection of recycling. So local policies where homes are supplied with a big 96-gallon wheeled recycle cart at no extra cost over trash collection, uh, we see the highest collection rates. The lowest collection rates are in rural communities where somebody might have to drive some number of miles to drop off material. And there's, and there's a host of other things, but those are a couple to get started. Which polymers are the hardest um, to recycle, both because of lack of technical feasibility as well as economic viability? Okay, well, again, coming back to uh, the focus of PET high-density polypropylene, there's nothing particularly hard about recycling any one of those package types. We have in place today collection systems, sorting systems, and what we call reclaiming systems that are uh, run at a high-volume industrial scale, recycling those materials every day. And there are end uses for those materials where recycled material provides the best fit in terms of physical properties and economics for end users. So, so the uh, uh, processes exist to collect and recycle those materials. Uh, certainly we want to uh, build in economies of scale. So if we collect greater volumes, we can build in economies of scale and that'll drive the price of recycled material down and that will be highly desirable. Local communities have cost impact because uh, we have local communities have to buy carts for recycling. They have to hire staff and buy trucks to drive around the neighborhood and pick everything up uh, and then have to support what are called material recycling facilities where all the recyclables go and are sorted into the individual components, paper, cardboard, uh, metals, glass, plastics. And so local communities have those costs. And so one of our challenges and opportunities going forward is, is uh, how do we as a society or through legislative policy help communities manage those costs? I want to get your opinion about a recent article that Greenpeace put out saying that in fact, and I quote, no plastics in the U.S. actually meet the definition of recyclable, um, and they're calling for companies to switch to other materials. I can only express my personal thoughts. My, my thoughts on this topic would not, uh, are just my personal ones. And it, and it gets down to, uh, again, repeating myself, polypropylene. Polyester 
high-density polyethylene rigid packaging collected and recycled every day and sold into high-value end uses every day all around the world. So it, it, it would not be true at all to say that those materials aren't collected and recycled. And when somebody says, oh, it doesn't meet the definition of recycling, it comes down to whose definition of recycling are we talking about? Uh, according to the Federal Trade Commission in the United States, we need a 60% access of consumers to recycling to be able to say that something's recyclable without qualification. And all of those materials meet the FTC 60% uh, access rule. Clearly, Ellen MacArthur uh, is a foundation very involved in recycling, and they proposed that a 30% collection rate was a minimum to be able to say that a plastic is recycled at scale. And frankly, we are stuck here in the U.S. at that 29 point something percent collection rate. So against if, if we have a 30% collection standard, it is true that we're a little below that. But again, the reason for being below that has nothing to do with technology. It's all society's will to go out and collect that material. There's examples in Europe where there is society agreement that we're going to collect and recycle rates for packages are, are in the 90% recovery. Now, you're part of the Association of Plastic Recyclers. Can you tell us what APR's mission is? Well, the APR, Association of Plastic Recyclers, is a trade association that has a primary mission of supporting those businesses that actually recycle the plastics that we're talking about today. And recycle the plastics means they're buying bales of those plastics from a material recovery facility and converting them into a high value plastic compound that we call post-consumer plastic that's used in a host of new applications. But because everyone in the plastics value chain is a stakeholder in recycling, the people that make resin, the people that make packaging, the people that make closures and labels, as well as the major brand owners who buy and specify plastic packaging are all stakeholders in recycling. And so those companies too come to the APR to advance their business needs and, and interests in, in recycling. Now, you mentioned stakeholders um, and a crucial one being governments. Can you talk broadly about the legislation surrounding plastic packaging and recycling and the regulation that the plastic industry is subject to in the U.S. and or uh, Europe and Asia? Well, certainly looking at Europe, we see the impact of legislation and, and public policy on recycling the most today. And so in Europe, for example, they have what are called extended producer responsibility programs. And here's where brand owners actually pay into a fund to help financially support the creation of infrastructure to collect and sort plastics for recycling. And then another part of EPR programs can be what are called eco-modulation fees. So packages that are recycled and have no impact on recycling might have a low eco-modulation fee as part of the EPR program. Packages that impact quality or productivity or recycling could have a high eco-modulation fee to encourage brand owners to move to a, a perfectly compatible packaging format. Or in the case of films that we talked about earlier today, 
where there's extra cost associated with collecting and sorting films. Uh, these EPR programs can pay those special costs of collecting and sorting uh, certain package types. So we see that happening the most in Europe, but Canada has implemented extended producer responsibility. And here in the United States, California, Oregon, Maine, Colorado, have all just this year introduced new EPR programs. So we see the beginnings of this happening here in the U.S. And I think we'll see that change happen and roll out very rapidly over the next few years here in the U.S. I'm now wondering about innovation. Uh, what do you think drives innovation in this space? Um, and how much money is being invested into it, um, either by the financial community or the plastics uh, producers themselves? And can you give us some examples of innovative materials or processes that you are aware of? Let's let's maybe break that up into two segments because there's uh, innovation directed towards collecting more packaging for recycling. And then there's innovation that's uh, being driven to improve packaging for recycle compatibility and to achieve sustainability goals. So in the first category... An example is that some years ago, Walmart brought together a number of the major brand companies that supply them, and they co-invested in what we know today as the Closed Loop Fund. And so this is a, a, an organization that's come together with funding from specifically Walmart, as well as about 10 other major global brand companies to invest in innovation directed towards increasing collection of plastics for recycling. Another example would be the Recycling Partnership is an organization that didn't exist that many years ago, but now uh, is a central organization leading efforts on collecting and recycling all materials, not just plastics, but glass, metals, paper, cardboard, with an emphasis on curbside collection and uh, driving higher collection rates. And so those are examples of programs that are changing the industry. And then the technology that's being invested in is new collection schemes, artificial intelligence and vision systems and robotics, uh, near-infrared sorting technology to sort all the different materials, technologies to, again, back to films, how do we collect a film and sort it effectively, a lot of energy and investment going around to uh, develop the infrastructure to collect and recycle films more effectively. And none of that existed just a few years ago. The other side would be brand owners. Brand owners, of course, have a, a heavy investment in package development. Uh, nothing changes in package development without brand owner investment. It's, it, it's critical and it's the crank that turns the engine. So sustainability is probably one of the top drivers in packaging today. And so, again, we mentioned the Ellen MacArthur Foundation earlier. Companies that work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation have three priorities. Packaging must be recyclable, reusable, or compostable. So their, their package development energies are driven around those three primary objectives. Two lesser but important objectives is that plastic packaging must have a high recycle content, and we want a lightweight packaging to reduce the amount of resources used back into packaging. 
And these are important considerations when we start thinking about uh, new technology and uh, new products that will have value in, in developing new products. So one company that is innovating in this space is Berkem. Uh, Baruz, can you tell us about what you're doing there? Uh, what is the technology that you're developing and commercializing? So what we do here, we have a natural clay-based additive technology, which basically improves several material properties. And we've shown this in the paper. Uh, and at present time, we are doing packaging level trials because it is now we have to show on the package. What this technology enables, it enables coming to John's point, light weightening up to 20% enables up to 20% less plastic per PET packaging. Now main focus PET and also extending product shelf life. And because the, this technology also improves material properties, we also uh, help recycle. So then we have to do some work on that one and have APR tests done. So that's our value proposition. But how we achieve this, we achieve this by significantly improving material properties like gas barrier strain, UV resistance, uh, heat distortion, while keeping transparency. So because clay, obviously a lot of people thought about clay-based technologies and combining that with plastic. One of the challenges people always face when you try to combine clay with plastic, PET plastic, it is haziness. So what happens, the package becomes hazy. It is barely possible to see through. So what makes us different that we can improve uh, material properties in parallel keeping the transparency. So that's, that's again, enables life weightening and product shape life extension. Can you talk about the application and the market potential? What do you think the technology will ultimately be worth? So we're aiming to be in every, every plastic packaging. So um, in terms of the value proposition will really propagate through the packaging industry in terms of from clamshells, water bottles, carbonated drinks, um, even eating hopefully market share from other packaging materials like glass and aluminum. So that's our target. But initially for starting, going to be hard for us to go to for mass markets. I believe that we'll have to start with specialty packaging. So that's where we go. So we'll start first initially. Then hopefully we aim to be in every plastic packaging for different reasons. And what is the state of the technology right now? So we uh, showed the performance and published paper uh, on the films. So basically we can achieve film uh, materials with high gas barrier properties and published at prestigious journal. This is what my partner, uh, Professor Tsai, did before uh, I joined the team. And also she proved feasibility of making packages out of this material. Sort of uh, making a material is one thing. John, John can tell more about that. Uh, but the making a package out of that material and the, and the package which can be made, made in existing infrastructure is a big thing. So, I mean, you can have a with a package, a material which requires a separate machine or separate treatment process. That will uh, be a red flag for the adoption or at least it will delay it for a long time, right? So that's what we are working now, sort of. We are taking this from the lab scale to the industrial scale. 
doing in so in the beginning of this year we did pilot scale tests on the scalability side of this technology can we make from a couple of 500 grams to 30 kilograms can we make it so we that went well now we sort of what we have to do we are working on uh, making clear transparent bottles with high gas barrier properties uh, on a larger scale so that's what we are working on now, basically, fitability and scalability uh, on a larger scale from the packaging point of view. Hopefully, things going well now by April or May uh, next year, I will, hopefully we will have this done in terms of having a package on hand on many packages, not one, but a thousand of packages uh, with high gas barrier strain, uh, UV resistant and heat distortion temperature. So this... This is, uh, which enables lighter packages which provide longer production plan. Where do you see Berkham in a decade? Now we have a platform technology. Now our beachhead market is PET. But in December of last year, we supplied, uh, uh, submitted a new patent which sort of extend technology for polyethylene and polypropylene films. Um, as John mentioned, this is a, a other sort of with this it most used packaging materials. So we want to basically have a portfolio of products, additives, which we can supply to different packaging materials. And maybe some at certain point to even paper, but we will see. We had some brainstorming sessions about that. In five or 10 years, I see Berkham as a company who has a line of products for PET, uh, for polyethylene, polypropylene, a PET and several other packaging materials. And uh, there are more and more things coming up from Professor Tsai's lab. Uh, she's like expert in making layered materials uh, to work for different applications. And we might have even broader scope of uh, product lines. And you recently closed the financing round, right? Yeah, we recently raised, in total we raised almost one, uh, one million in the pre-seed funding. Uh, that sort of will enable us to execute on our our technology and business roadmap uh, during the next 18 months. And John, I always thank him. I want to use this opportunity to thank him one more time. He has been tremendous value and asset to us, guiding us in the direction, saying, hey, Barros, that will work. This will not work. That has been a tremendous value to us, and we're happy to have him on board. That's great. Um, Well, thank you both so much again for coming on the show and sharing your insights. It was a pleasure, and it is always my pleasure to be here and share the stage with John. Thank you, Selma. Appreciate the opportunity to visit with you.